I've, I've been telling um, all the services earlier that they have a prayer point today and tomorrow, and that's to pray for Pastor Mark as it's the 49ers, his team versus the Seahawks. Either pray that he is humble in, in, in spirit if they win, or pray for his broken heart to be mended, whatever, whatever way you want to pray. So, yeah. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Cooper. Glad you are here with us here at Cheney Faith Center. Um, it's been a while since I've spoken up here up front. Uh, my wife and I recently had the birth of our second child, Oliver J. Jensen. Yeah, and I think I have a little, little picture of him up there. Oh, that's, that's a cute baby, by the way. Just, just saying. Oh, there he is. Yes, that's a little Oliver. So, and I know I've, uh, from the pulpit, I've shared a few times that it wasn't an easy journey through this pregnancy with my wife's health and a lot of unknowns with the baby's health and different things. But um, God is good, not only because we have a healthy baby, but God is good because throughout the whole entire process, we were sustained by his faith and by his power and his love. And so it's a big amen to that. And I want to say also thank you, um, church, for praying for us and, and just being a good support during that whole process. So uh, it takes a village. It takes the church, right, <laughs> to like raise kids. And so thank you for being a big support of that. Well, yeah, um, so we're kind of in, in between series, and we were in our pro tip series for about six weeks, which was that study in the book of Proverbs. And Pastor Mark mentioned this, but we're going to be just a few weeks in just talking about Jesus, being with Jesus, and going through some parables or stories that Jesus used in his ministry, just unpacking those, dialoguing on those, and letting the truth from those stories really hit home to challenge us and to encourage us. So I'm going to start off the next couple of weeks in this thought process, and we're going to be in the book of Luke, so the gospel of Luke, and in chapter 7. So if you have your Bible with you, your phone, however you want to um, read God's Word, start making your way to Luke chapter 7. Now I want to give a little context to just the gospel narrative of Luke in general. Um, what's great is Luke was written by Luke. Whoa, that's crazy how that happened. Um, Luke was a real person. He lived during the time of Jesus. And what we know of him is he was most likely a doctor, but he was very educated because how he writes this narrative, and also he wrote the book of Acts, he writes this in a style called Greek histiography or histiography. I say the word wrong every single time. My tongue gets all tied up. But what it is, is a very first person, first source, eyewitness account style of writing. He wants to make sure he gets the facts, that he's actually checking his sources. He's interviewing people. He's making sure he's not just writing like hearsay, like, oh, I heard, you know, this guy say this about Jesus. No, he actually goes and talks to that person. He makes sure that he's getting the true, true facts. That's his way of writing and that's his style. And so I think we can take that and say, okay, this is real. This is true. This isn't just some random thing that he's making up. No, this is the real, true words and ministry of Jesus. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. But before we dive in there, I want to just go to the very first chapter of the book of Luke because we get 
his vision and his heart for why he's writing this document. This is what it says in verse 1 of chapter 1. Many people have set out to write accounts. This is Luke talking about the events that have been fulfilled among us. That's the ministry of Jesus, the promised hope of salvation. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theopolis, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Now, what we see here is he's writing this to a Gentile named Theopolis. This is a real gentleman that he's actually trying to witness to. He's trying to just give this person, here's the facts. Here's what happened. Now it's up to you to really make your choice of whether it's true or not, because I'm giving you all the facts. And if you deny it, you're literally denying the truth. So he's writing this to witness to this person, Theopolis. And so again, his style, very accurate. His style is making sure that he's checking the sources, that this is what really did happen, what really did occur. And so I say this so that we have this context that it's not just a story. It's not just something that's been fabricated. No, this is the historical truth. And what's so great is this is a living, breathing document, and what has happened can still transform our hearts and our minds today. It's what's happened with the Son of God, and it's the Word of God. And so I want to just say that to encourage us, and so that as we come into this story and this narrative, that we see it as truth. We see it as this is what has occurred. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, in verses 36 through 50. Now, to kind of bring us into some context of what's happening currently in this part of the narrative, is Jesus has been in his ministry. He's been healing people. He's been performing miracles. People have been coming to him saying, can you heal us? My daughter is dead. This is happening. Like, can you do these things? And he's like, yeah. And he is doing them. There's a lot of buzz that is occurring. And people are like, who is this Jesus guy? And he's saying, well, I'm the son of God. He's making some very, very big claims. At the same time, John the Baptist, his ministry is occurring. People are being baptized and great things are happening. And his followers are kind of like, who is this Jesus guy? And so they're coming to Jesus asking like, what is going on? We hear that you're healing people, that you're forgiving people, that um, all these amazing things are happening. And he just basically says like, yeah, I'm, I'm the promised hope of salvation. I'm the son of God. And so there's a lot of buzz happening. And one of the Pharisees, which is like a religious elite of the time, is really interested. And he wants to know more about who Jesus is. And so he invites him to dinner to talk more, but also to show a little hospitality, as in their culture it was the thing to do, it is to invite a traveling teacher to your home so you can you know, bless them, but also just talk more. So that's where we're at right now in Luke chapter 7. And so we're going to be in verse 36. I'm reading from the NLT. The verses will be on the screen behind me. And so we'll just jump right in. So one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind them at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. 
Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one from whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins are many. They have been forgiven. She has, so she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little only shows little love. And Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can have your word, your gospel to transform us. The truth and what happened really happened, Lord, and we have that. So God, Holy Spirit, we just pray that in this time our hearts are open and our minds are open to receive your truth, to be encouraged by it, to be challenged by it. Lord, let it be your words, not my words this morning. And um, Jesus, just let us fall in love with you even more as we know you, as we grow in your truth and are encouraged and challenged to go for you as well, Lord. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, our first question that I think we need to just start to discuss and pull out from this is this. Have we weighed the price of our forgiveness and what have we done about it? Have we weighed the price of our forgiveness and what have we done about it? So right away, we come into a scene where Jesus is at a dinner party at a Pharisee's house. He's a very elite person. Um, the dinner, probably, uh, dinner party was probably super fancy. I guarantee you they had bacon-wrapped shrimp. Actually, they did not because they were Jewish. They did not have bacon or shrimp there. But it's one of my favorite appetizers. So if I was there, I'd be like, where is it at? I need it. A little mustard sauce, all that. Anyway, it's, it's, it's 11.50. It's getting close to lunchtime. Um, but what we see, though, is at this fancy high-end dinner banquet party, a woman who, what we can take from the culture and infer, was a person who was a prostitute, a sex worker, and was known in that town as such. She just busts right in and just worships Jesus. She takes this alabaster jar, and she actually is going to break it, let that rare, expensive perfume go all over the feet of Jesus, and to anoint him and to be with him, and just to worship him. 
because she knows something that no one else in that room knows. And that's that Jesus forgives, Jesus saves, Jesus gives life, he redeems, he restores, he makes straight the path of the broken, that only through Jesus can life be found and found to the full, both here in the present and also forever. She's figured that out. She's experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. So she is responding in this moment with that truth of, I've been forgiven. I am going to worship Jesus with all that I am. And like we read, we saw that Simon is quite appalled, the Pharisee. He's just like, oh, whoa, what is going on? If Jesus knew who this woman was, like, he'd be like, get out of here. And Simon is kind of like, what's going on here? But Jesus, in the way that only Jesus can do, gives him the best like verbal backhand of like all time, right? Like in those heated moments, I like want to like say stuff, but I get all like confused. I start stuttering and I'll probably just say something like, you're dumb. Like, ooh, wow. But Jesus, calm, cool, and collected, responds with a story that just hits right to the point. So I want to reread those verses in verse 41. And it says this, Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one. That's about a year's worth of wages, a whole year's salary. And then uh, 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon, I think we can kind of start to feel that he's getting the point of this story, responds, I, I, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. So he, he gets it, right? He gets it in that moment. But man, Jesus just hits this point right away. And in the midst of this woman sobbing, wiping her hair all over his feet, just worshiping Jesus with all that she has. See, this woman understood her canceled debt. She understood that she has been forgiven. And she is a free person. The old is gone, the new has come. And that is a huge thing. And so out of response of this truth, she was worshiping the one who offers forgiveness. She was worshiping Jesus. Now I want to put ourselves in context really quick within this story. So this woman who comes into this dinner party, there's a lot of things that are going against her in this culture. Number one, she's a woman. That culture doesn't want to even really see her or speak to her, especially in that circumstance. Number two, she was known as a person who um, sells her body. She's a very immoral woman. And so even in that culture, there's probably men at that dinner party who would want to kill her on the spot because of their legalistic ways. She's coming with that thought. There's probably men, and it's not a super far leap to take, that may have even patronized her services, let alone they may have abused her mentally, physically, verbally, whatever it might be. And so there is all of these thoughts, all these feelings, fear, shame, but all that goes away because she knows the truth, not that, and that's that she's been forgiven. And nothing else matters. 
And she's going to capitalize on this moment and respond in the way that she knows. And it's, I've been forgiven of everything, so I'm going to give everything to Jesus. Now, something I want to note was the act of her anointing the feet of Jesus does not save her, did not save her. If we take in the context, the story in this parable, she's responding because she has been forgiven. And most likely, if we read up above in chapter 7, she might have been a part of that crowd that Jesus was ministering to earlier. She may have been healed. She may have had something in her life happen. What we do know is she understood that she was forgiven. So she's had an encounter with Jesus, and she's responding because of that life change that has occurred in her through Christ. Culturally, she has that alabaster jar. These are very expensive, sacred items that would be passed down through families, generations, used for dowries, used on special occasions. If a patriarch or matriarch passes away, they would use what's inside there and dedicate that person who passes away. It was, it was a big deal. So what we know is she had one in her possession. Maybe it was passed down to her, but that was something that was very valuable. Maybe, well, obviously the most valuable thing that she had. And those jars, when they sealed them, you couldn't just unseal them and get some of that perfume. It's not like Elizabeth Taylor stuff. You can just come out and just... No. This was expensive stuff that was sealed, and you had to break the jar to use it. So when she anoints Jesus, she literally takes that jar and she breaks it. She took something valuable in her life, priceless in her life, and she broke it for Jesus. And I think for us, we have to think through, man, what's valuable? What's something that I've been hanging on to that I need to break and worship Jesus with? And that's what she does, and that's what she models. Is she's saying, this is worth a lot to me, but it's not worth more than who Jesus is and what he has done for me in my life. That was her response in that moment. So again, we have to ask ourselves that question. Have we weighed the price of our forgiveness, and what have we done about it? See, we're all in the need of forgiveness, I believe. We've all had words, actions, thoughts, motives, regret that maybe we're just like, man, I, I know this is just wrong. We've all been there. We might be in that place. But what's so beautiful is Christ and who he is, boom, can come right into your story and completely change it. As he, excuse me, as he offers forgiveness and freely offers that to those who come and say, Lord, I need forgiveness. And so from this, like we see, this woman responds with worship and worship with all that she had right at the feet of Jesus. Now, in those response, it's not about getting Jesus points of who has the best response to this fact that you've been forgiven. What we see here is just a selfless act of putting Jesus above who you are as a person. And that comes in different ways for different people. So I'm not going to give you like, here's the top five ways to show your love for Jesus, you know, like, no, it's different for every single person and every context and every walk of life. But I think we should always ask ourselves not only that question, but just how will I respond or how am I responding to the truth that I have been forgiven? How is that working in my life? You should be asking yourself that. 
Because if we are full on believing like I'm forgiven, I'm, I'm redeemed, that's great. Well, then what are we doing about it? How are we living that out? How are we walking that out? So what we see again is this woman responds with worship, with all that she is. And she also responds in a holy moment. So she heard that Jesus was having dinner here. She could have easily been like, oh, I don't know, like that's at that really nice guy's house. And I don't know, like I shouldn't like go there because I'm who I am, all that stuff. But no, she just says, I am going to go. And I'm going to worship Jesus. And she doesn't miss that holy moment. So our second major point this morning is this. Don't miss the holy moments. Don't miss the holy moments. Don't miss the moments to be with Jesus, to show the love of Jesus, to respond from this basis of I've been forgiven, or to live a life like Jesus. What we can read and apply is this woman, again, she didn't miss out on this holy moment. She said, no, I'm going there. I don't care about my past, my present, or my future. I'm showing my love to Jesus. You might be like, well, if I knew that Jesus was here, like, I would totally go and, like, worship him. Like, I mean, that, that, that makes sense. I hope I would say the same thing too, right? And obviously, Jesus isn't here in the flesh, like, reclining at a table that we can just go worship him, but he is present here in the everyday moments that we call life. I think sometimes we have to maybe just change our perspective on recognizing those holy moments that are definitely available for us to worship Jesus in, to point people to Jesus to, and to model a life like Christ. Now, I believe here on a Sunday, we have moments that are holy. I mean, we probably all wouldn't be here if we didn't agree in that fact. And there's many weeks that we have new visitors coming and, and friends and people that we've invited because we believe that something special is happening here. And I think that's true. But I also believe that our everyday is presented with moments that are holy, opportunities to worship with our hearts, hands, and mouth, moments when we choose Jesus over our own self-wants, moments when we love God and love people because we realize we've been forgiven we realize that truth and that fact. Holy moments can happen at Starbucks, at a restaurant, at a, at a practice field, at a game, um, at the park, whatever, where the conversation all of a sudden just kind of like turns. You're like, oh, this is interesting. And maybe you open up or your friend opens up and the conversation just starts to have a different temperature. That, that's a holy moment. It's a moment where you can just listen and let them just... Ugh maybe just spill some stuff. It's a moment where you can encourage them, pray for them, be with them, start to walk with them, maybe through a hard life moment. Those are holy moments to be Jesus. At home with your kids, they get a bump. You kiss it and you, you pray for it. That is a holy moment. That's a huge holy moment where you are showing and modeling that Jesus is healer and Jesus is gonna be with us. You're modeling that. That's a holy moment. When you humble yourself, you say you're sorry to a friend, a spouse, a coworker, somebody that's in your life, and you say, you know what, I was wrong. And you model humility, and you model that I, you know, I just need your forgiveness, or else you forgive someone else. There's moments that occur in our everyday life that we should not miss. 
We just have to just change our perspective. And I say this because I'm learning and growing in this area. I'm super convicted as I've been reading through this of like, man, I've been missing moments because so many times I ask the question like, what am I going to get out of this? Out of this coffee meetup or out of this conversation or out of this worship night or out of this sermon or this whatever. I ask myself, what am I going to get out of this? It's the wrong thing. Missing moments. It's about how can I worship Jesus How can I point people to Jesus? How can I show people the love of Christ? What we see again in our narrative is the woman, she didn't miss the moment. And Jesus, I mean, he's Jesus, he did not miss that moment as well. He modeled to Simon what it's all about. That's that this woman's been forgiven and she's worshiping the son of God and you didn't even really care about who I am and you didn't give me anything like, he's just kind of like, you're missing it, Simon. You're missing this holy moment, right? So we have to just continue to change our perspective on those everyday things. It can also come when we have an agenda towards something. Again, saying like, eh, it's what I want to get out of it. Or maybe it's from the perspective of, I've done this, I've done that. I'm such a horrible person Years ago, I did this. Five minutes ago, I did this. Last night, whatever it might be. And we think, why would I want to come to a holy moment? Why would God want to talk to me, impact me? Like, I'm, I'm less than. But here's something I think we need to understand and see modeled from this woman. She came because she knew the truth. She knew her past. She knew what happened. But she said, it doesn't matter. I'm forgiven. I can freely worship the Son of God. I think in our culture, we sometimes get so fixated that we need to have everything figured out, perfect, all that stuff, before we do something, that it just ruins moments. We get fixated on what we have done, and we forget what Jesus has done. See, it becomes about us and not about who Jesus is. We get fixated on what we have done and forget what Christ has done. And that lady in that narrative She was modeling, this this is what Christ has done. He's forgiven me. What I want to do just for the next few minutes is just have a moment for us to maybe reflect. Have a moment for us to take in not only the truth that we've been dialoguing and reading about, but also just maybe see it from a different perspective. And so I'm going to play a quick song, a video. It's going to have some lyrics with it. It's written by an artist named Cody Carnes. And um, this song is just called Nothing Else. And it kind of has the heart of what we've been reading. But I want to encourage you to maybe just close your eyes, let the truth sink in, or, or read the words, whatever you want to do. And then I want to come back up and just close with a few other thoughts in this. So again, um, I want you to just think through, man, have I weighed that price of forgiveness? Have I put my own agenda over things when it comes to the worship of who Jesus is? And just ask yourself and evaluate, where am I at in this process? And then I'm going to close in just a few minutes. Caught up in 
I believe it's fairly simple when it comes to this conversation. Jesus forgives, and the response is simple as well. Either you say, yeah, he does forgive, and you respond and worship him, or maybe it's, I have yet to receive that forgiveness of Christ. I have yet to be in that holy moment where I say yes to him and take in the forgiveness that he offers. What I love at the end of this narrative in verse 50, Jesus addresses the woman and says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. I think something as a culture that we all strive for is peace. Whether we believe in Jesus or not, we're all looking for peace. And what Jesus offers here is that. By our faith, when we take that step of faith and believe we've been forgiven, peace overwhelms us. A peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's what Jesus offers, is a life of forgiveness, where then our response is 
full worship unto him. 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful to forgive. That's good news right there. That's super good news. So what I want to do right now is just give us a time to respond. Give us a time to reflect. And I'm going I'm to pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your truth is still relevant today and that your ministry, your words challenge and encourage us. We've been a Christian for 80 years to maybe even a person who has yet to take that step of faith. What we know, Lord, is that you are true and that you forgive and you offer hope and you offer an abundant life. So Jesus, we just take a moment right now to reflect on that and maybe for some of us that means we just say, Lord, I'm sorry because I've made it about me and not about you. We have a moment to just confess that. Maybe for some of us, it's this truth that we've never actually stepped into, that we're still holding on to something or, or some past, whatever it might be, and we just feel like we'll never be forgiven of that. I want you to know that there is power in the love of Jesus. There is forgiveness in who he is. And that can break any chain that there is. So maybe it's a time for you to just confess that and to take a step of faith for the first time. I want to just give us a moment right now just to reflect on that and maybe to confess some things just right there in our own space. Lord, you are the forgiver. You're the Savior. And right now, if there's any of us that just want to raise a hand and say, man, I, just had, I, had, I had to confess some stuff. Just raise your hand. I want to just pray for you right now. Yeah, amen. 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 Lord, like it says, we confess our sins. You are faithful to forgive. So, Lord, I just pray that over all of us here. Encourage us in that truth that we would always come to you in those moments, Lord. God, we pray for our eyes to be opened. That Holy Spirit, you would lead us and guide us to recognize those holy moments that occur in our everyday life, those holy moments to put you above who we are and above our agenda, that we worship you with, that we point people to you with and allow you to be king. God, we give you this day. We praise your name. Amen. Amen, amen.